Welcome to the One Last Sketch Podcast, a show about science fiction, fantasy, and history, except when it isn't. This is one of those days. I'm your host, Michael. I'm Marie. Today we're talking about a Japanese cartoon, otherwise known as anime, under the very long title, No Matter How I Look At It, It's You Guys' Fault, I'm Not Popular. Michael's new to the anime scene. He finds this all a little bit strange as of yet. This is the first anime show I ever saw. I watched this in December, and that it's a very strange introduction. Yeah, not one I would have picked. <laughs> Although, no. actually, you did watch some Miyazaki movies first, technically. So this yes, is the first this series. Is, <laughs> this is the first series I've seen. I yeah. did watch some Studio Ghibli films before this, but yeah. really the big rabbit hole that I went down for the last few months... It started with this. Yeah, I watched it in I think early February, end of January, sometime around. Back then. when you still could in Canada. <laughs> Yay! Because there was this thing. Well, there is this thing still called Crunchyroll, which I discovered again during that abysmal time when I was in Hinton, Alberta. I'm sorry to everyone who lives in Hinton, Alberta, but I just hated living there. <laughs> um, but I so, uh, consoled myself at night by uh, seeing what I could watch on Crunchyroll, because I had anime series for free, and I watched Attack on Titan, which was fine, and then I watched, um, what was it, Fate Zero, which is stupid at the end. Good fight scenes, though, and then I kind of gave up. Yeah, well, I started in December with this show, and then I watched Attack on Titan and a bunch of other stuff. And, well, the thing about Crunchyroll was that a lot of the stuff on it wasn't particularly great. No, I think like, I lucked out on just watching the few good shows before suddenly they up and decided the Canadian dollar was too low and yeah. they weren't going to let you watch it for free anymore, which is their prerogative. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. The show came out in 2013. It's based on a comic book that came, started in 2011. It's still serialized, still ongoing. I hate to break it to you, Michael, but that's how most anime shows are, based on a manga. Still going. <laughs> yep, an ongoing manga, even though I don't think there's ever going to be another season of this. Which is fine. Which is all, which is I don't know what, well. what possessed you to start with this one. Like, why did you click on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into that. There was a review on Ferret Brain from my friend and person who's been on this podcast before, Alistair Cheerney. Mm. He wrote a review of this back in 2013 because I checked the date. And I meant to see it after reading his review. And it took me a long time <laughs> before I actually went and started watching it. His review was actually of the comic book, not of the series, but it because the series was free back then in Canada, mm-hmm. a bit more accessible for me to get my hands on. The review is called Anger, Anxiety, and Porn, and mm. it's mainly about how this was the only depiction of social anxiety that he found believable or relatable or really done at all mm-hmm. in any kind of mainstream media. <laughs> Fair enough. And also that it depicted loneliness in a way that 
is very uncommon. Yeah. It, I wouldn't say it's the only thing to have dealt with social anxiety no, in, in media, but I can sort of see the point. It's one of the few, and one of the few that goes into the uglier side of it, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Most shows that have, or books that have shy characters kind of make it out to be a positive thing or something people get over. That was a very time. 90s thing when it was so cool to be weird that yeah. that was kind of like everyone has has this sort of uh, feeling when they're in public around people. So it's okay. And that you don't worry, you'll get over it. Just magically. Yeah, yeah. That's not really something that happens in this show. I'm trying to come up with a good summary, but being that this doesn't have much of a plot, I think you kind of just the... have to focus on the character of... Tomoko Kuroki herself, which is, that is what this is about. I think the opening phrase that is the uh, only piece of narration that I saw, because I only watched about four episodes, and I was like, I get the gist of this. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. uh, the opening thing being like, once upon a time, there was a girl whose story really didn't matter very much, <laughs> or something. But before we get into her, I've got my handy dandy DSM-5 right here. Why don't we... Have a look at the criteria for social anxiety. You're the doctor. I am the doctor. So, yeah. Let me just figure out where that is in in here. This is, of course, the pocket guide, because I'm too lazy to walk downstairs to get my full one. Okie dokie. see here. Social anxiety disorder or social phobia described in the DSM-5, which is what we tend to use in North America. There's also ICD-10 categorizations from the WHO for various psychiatric things, but Americans and Canadians tend to use the DSM, which has its own issues and good parts. But anyway, here's what the categories are, and I'm going to read them out, which is always the most fascinating thing to hear in psychiatry is DSM criteria. So, part A is uh, that uh, defines social anxiety disorder is a marked fear or anxiety about one or more social situations in which the individual is exposed to possible scrutiny by others. Examples include social interactions, e.g. having a conversation, meeting unfamiliar people, being observed, e.g. eating or drinking, and performing in front of others, e.g. giving a speech. Note, in children, the anxiety must occur in peer settings and not just during interactions with adults. Uh, Category B, the individual fears that he or she will act in a way or show anxiety symptoms that will be negatively evaluated, i.e. will be humiliating or embarrassing, will lead to rejection or offend others. Section C, the social situations almost always provoke fear or anxiety. And note in children, the fear or anxiety may be expressed by crying, tantrums, freezing, clinging, shrinking, or failing to speak in social situations. D, the social situations are avoided or endured with intense fear or anxiety. E, the fear or anxiety is out of proportion to the actual threat posed by the social situation and to the socio-cultural context. F, the fear, anxiety, or avoidance is persistent, typically lasting for six months or more. And G, the fear, anxiety, or avoidance causes clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. H, the fear, anxiety, or avoidance is not attributable to the physiological effects of a substance. Blah, blah, blah. I, the fear, anxiety, or avoidance is not better explained by the symptoms of another mental disorder, such as panic disorder, by dysmorphic disorder, or autism spectrum disorder. And J, 
If another medical condition, e.g. Parkinson's disease, obesity, disfigurement from burns or injury, is present, the fear, anxiety, or, or avoidance is clearly unrelated or is excessive. And then there's a last specifier for performance only, which is if the fear is restricted to speaking or performing in public. So I dare say our main character meets the DSM-5 criteria for social anxiety. Good to know. Yeah. So to actually go into what this show is about, well, it's about Tomoko Kuroki. A girl who's just coming out of middle school and going into high school. She was not in a bad situation in middle school, from what I can gather. But she was already starting to have problems. And she thinks by going to high school, she'll magically become popular and everything will be better based on all the media that she's consumed up Mm -hmm. to that point. Lots of anime, lots of manga, light novels, and visual novels, which are like choose-your-own-adventure yeah. games. What is, uh, how old is she supposed to be? She's, I think she's 14 or 15. Yeah, she's 15, yeah. Because yeah. she's drawn younger, like she's drawn being a little bit pre-pubertal compared to her classmates, which is, I think, intentional, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, we'll get into the art style a bit later, because mm-hmm. they've shifted a little bit from what's in the manga. Anyway, we pick up a few months later. She's gone to a new school where she doesn't know anyone, and she's sitting alone. Mm-hmm. It hasn't actually spoken to anybody, it appears, for that entire time. Mm-hmm. And she kind of freaks out. How did this happen? How did I get here? And then you get the opening credits. And the rest of the show is about her various misadventures where we see everything basically from inside her head looking out the world because she's so isolated. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have many interactions with other people that are at least meaningful mm-hmm. <laughs> in any way. She struggles to talk to people. Mm-hmm. She really wants to get over it, but her own personal failings keep on thwarting her. Mm-hmm. And she slowly starts to accept things, but in terms of development, it's pretty realistic and that change is hard. Mm-hmm. It also gets into pretty strong sexual territory with her. She's pretty frustrated and I dare say pretty horny by, oh, yeah. by all accounts. <laughs> it, we're f- very focused on her psyche. Everything mm-hmm. is... Again, she's narrating things. We hear her interior thoughts. Mm-hmm. The show doesn't shy away from depicting stuff that we don't really talk about with teenage girls. Mm-hmm. When you see them in a YA novel or mm-hmm. on a TV show here about people in high school. I'd say pretty realistic depiction of adolescence in that way. Mm-hmm. And that it's not only focused on social groups in school, it's about everything that's going on mm-hmm. with her, with her body. Mm-hmm. She's um got a lot of what I'd call, it's kind of hard to call them delusions because she's so young. So it's more like she's just so ill-informed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know in the first episode she's like, oh my god, I'm actually so gorgeous. No wonder they're not talking to me. And it's just kind of like, well, that's not true. <laughs> Yeah, well, every episode is titled, Because I'm Not Popular, I'll Do This. And she's trying to do something, but it's something you know will not work. Mm -hmm. And it's it's never some big personal revelation or giant change. It's always, if I can just do this one fairly easy thing to do, Mm -hmm. then I'll be able to break out, which is 
when you see it from her point of view, it seems perfectly reasonable mm-hmm. to her. But everybody else around her does not view it that way. And you as a viewer aren't either. <laughs> I mean, initially she's like, if I can just talk to somebody, this will be great. And then, but her category of just talking to somebody was like just managing to say goodbye to her, her like teacher without completely garbling the phrase. She's yeah, like, ah, I'm she... such a good speaker now. And it's like, no, no, you're not. Or she tries to go, well, I'm not talking to anyone at school, so I'm going to barge into my brother's room and force him to talk to me for hours on end. And her brother is older than her, right? No, her brother's younger. Yeah, because yeah, I thought they said that, but then I was like, he seems to be older, or is this just because she's so useless <laughs> socially? You can see the spiral of trying something, and then when it doesn't work, just sort of spiraling back into herself. What I thought was really, really on point for somebody who's anxious about other people is whenever she'd hear like other people talking about anything not related to her, how like she'd have, get these really angry bursts that she's not a part of that conversation or isn't the focus of something, and then she'd sort of flip that anger back onto the other people and call them nasty derogatory names and just assume that they're all having sex with each other and saying the and just sort of turning her I think her her anger at herself and not being able to just talk to these people onto them to make it their fault because that's a, a cognitive um, distortion that she can be comfortable with without having to admit to herself that she's just a very awkward person to be around yeah it's one of her defense mechanisms yeah not particularly effective, but nope. <laughs> she, she's not really capable of thinking about things in a different way. There are moments of self-reflection, but she tends to push them away because she doesn't want to admit. Yeah, it gets that into she's the whole, this bad. It gets into the whole. It's so psychically uncomfortable for people with anxiety to think about it. That in terms of the reality of what's going on, it's much easier to live with the distortions that they have than, than it is to do the meaningful changes to face them. So that's why she goes into all these like bizarre kind of thinking, like if I maybe just wear fancy panties for a day, I'll be popular versus like, you know, if you just say, hi, how are you doing? How's the morning? Like that's how normal conversations kind of start. Cause there's, as far as I can tell, there's nothing particularly special about the other kids in the school. No. They're just kind of annoying teenagers, (laughs) like, everywhere. One of the effective things about this is that Tomoko, you can sympathize with her, Mm -hmm. but you wouldn't want to be in a room with her. (laughs) It's really good at showing how, like, yeah, you understand her, but you still think that she's not someone that you can see why everyone else doesn't want to hang out with her. She can be extremely unlikable. Uh, and that's reflected in the art style here that externalizes the way she sees other people and how she sees herself. The art style in the manga is a lot more sparse yeah. and doesn't really use the visual tricks that the anime does. Mm-hmm. Here you'll get like she's surrounded by a pall of smoke everywhere mm-hmm. she goes. Mm-hmm. Or the rest of the room will gray out. Or she sees other people as only mouths. Mm-hmm. 
that are just all they do is talk and they're talking about nothing kind of thing mm -hmm. also it references all of the media that she kind of sees the world through there were references to ghost in the shell and a bunch of other shows that it would call back to during her various fantasy sequences yeah those are i think the best parts because <laughs> it's <laughs> sort of like Calvin and Hobbes if he was a lot older female and having a very hard time interacting with the world around him. <laughs> She's also drawn younger and I'd say cuter than in the comic book. Yeah. In the comic it's a lot of close-ups of her sweaty face. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. They still have the uh, permanent black marks underneath her eyes because she doesn't really sleep very much kind of a marker of anxiety not being able to <laughs> and she and i'd but, like how she sort of takes all this media and like uses it to like try to research how to be a better person but it's like these are not real things no not it's reality. really not helpful <laughs> yeah because <laughs> it gives her an image of what things are supposed to be like and all she can think about is how reality is falling short Mm -hmm. Every time. And if the stuff she does is wrong, it's other people's fault because this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah, and it's kind of that distortion because she doesn't want to just face the fact that she's just not a pleasant person to be around and to fix the parts of her that are unpleasant to other people. It's, it's, um, it's not uncommon for people with anxiety to just want everyone else to accommodate how they are. But we're a multi-group of people and that's not not everyone will pad their the world will not pad its corners for you it's sort of the other message of this show yeah and it's not realistic to expect it to do so just for you i mean it's realistic to expect that you like can find some people to hang out with like she has one friend so far i don't know if she keeps that friend the whole show yeah but it, yeah she does yeah but it's um for like she, everyone to just decide to be the way that will accommodate you. Not necessarily realistic. Maybe in an ideal utopia, yes, we should all be accepting of each other. But that's not how people are. Especially in high school. <laughs> yeah, she does make more friends later on. Not really in this show. There's one person who kind of starts taking an interest in her near the end. Mm. And it's kind of a hopeful message thing, at mm -hmm. least. It's quite a... Uh, mm -hmm. Quite a heartwarming final episode, actually. Well, that's good. Because the upshot that's... is that she is young. If this was a show about somebody who was in their, like, 40s doing the same thing, it'd be much more depressing. Well, or... you said you also quit on watching The Guild for similar reasons, right? <laughs> well, I didn't quit actually watching the show for that reason. I was just like, well, it doesn't seem to be changing much per episode. So I was kind of like, I don't need to spend more time on it. The Guild, I just actively became so uncomfortable watching people. Yeah, because they were adults. Yeah, I was right like, wow, now. you, um, wow. Yeah, I think it is important that this show is depicting a young person. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be much harder to watch than it is. I mean, you expect transitional issues for social mm -hmm. things in high school. It's not, that's a normal time for that to happen. It's interesting that her parents don't seem to be aware of anything going on. I mean, I guess she doesn't tell them. Like, why would she? No, she doesn't tell them, and she doesn't have any problem speaking with people in her family. Yeah. And just getting up to mischief. <laughs> but it's only when she goes out into the wider world 
mm-hmm. even just outside of middle school and being in an uncomfortable situation that she climbs up mm-hmm. and ceases to be able to function. Mm-hmm. It's one of the criticisms you could level at this in its depiction of adolescence in high school is that I couldn't see a person like this not getting horrendously bullied. Yeah. And this show and the book, the other people around her are just indifferent to her. They don't even seem to notice that she's there, which is sort of um, buying into the trope of her isolation, (laughs) is that she is so isolated that people are like, well, there's a person there. Weird. (laughs) On the other hand, I don't think I would have been able to stick with this if there was constant abuse happening through the entire yeah. Part of its effectiveness in exploring somebody who is unlikable is to not punish her for it. Yeah, the only other, um, well, other than her own punishment, <laughs> uh, the only interaction that I see with other people is that, like, the boy who bought her an umbrella while she was unconscious. It is a whole tragic episode because she doesn't even realize that something nice was done to her by someone else. <laughs> Yeah, he comes back later on, and everything is just completely ruined. <laughs> yeah, probably. There, yeah, there's one episode in the series that I was not able to finish and had to come back to later, <laughs> <laughs> which goes on that topic. Uh, is is the most difficult um, yeah. episode to watch in the show. What happens? Spoilers, I want to know. Spoiler alert! Her cousin comes to visit, and beforehand she would tell all these lies to her cousin about her love life. Oh, yeah. To make her seem like such a cool person. Yeah. And then that episode is, her cousin comes to visit and realizes that Tomoko's not, has been lying the whole time, and isn't the entire time isn't anything like she thought she was. And part of that is pretending that guy who left the umbrella was her boyfriend. Ah. So. Whoops. (laughs) Yeah, that one was hard to watch. In terms of saving graces, there is this super cringeworthy aspect to most of her interactions that does make it a hard show to get through sometimes. Yeah. But it does have pretty effective depictions of what it's like to be lonely at that age. Yeah. And isolated, and it can get pretty emotionally effective. Yeah, and it's, I think particularly the being lonely and then refusing to even acknowledge being lonely on her part. Because she knows that she's lonely, (laughs) but she doesn't really want to think about it. There are times when she does break down, and those are the most effective. And it kind of made me feel uh, emotional reactions that I didn't expect to out of Mm -hmm. Just an animated series animated in this way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it's not like I'm watching a Miyazaki film and expecting Mm -hmm. these Mm -hmm. prime emotional beats all the time. This is a show about Mm -hmm. a profoundly strange person. She's not really that strange. I don't think she's that strange at all. I think she's pretty normal. Because, I mean, she's hypersexualized because she's frustrated and she doesn't interact with anyone. She's a relatively clever, as far as I can tell. I think she does okay at school. Person. Although not so much that she's strange, but the yeah. way it's depicted is kind of strange. Okay, yeah. But no, but like as a person, she's not that odd or anything. She has the anxiety, and there's not really a whole lot else that I'd say is really strange about her. 
And she isn't isn't entirely alone the entire show. She does have a friend. Yeah. For a middle school who comes to catch up with her. Yeah. You. And that's a, a fairly antagonistic relationship from Tomoko's side. Yeah. <laughs> you is just completely oblivious because she can't see into. Tomoko's and she seems head. like, and she seems like such a nice person that it wouldn't occur to her. <laughs> yeah, well, the big tension in their friendship starting up again mm-hmm. is that you was in a similar situation to Tomoko in middle school. They were outsiders, mm-hmm. uh, didn't really mm-hmm. talk to anyone else outside of their little group of friends, kind of nerdy, dorky people. Yeah. And then she developed, and when she went to her high school, she, she became blossomed. super popular and <laughs> yeah. Made a lot of friends, has a boyfriend. She, she made, had the experience that Tomoko wanted. She made the step, yeah, that started. she wished she could. Yeah. But on the other hand, you reconnects with Tomoko because now that she's this popular person, she can't really talk about the stuff she loves with other people anymore. Yeah. And she wants to be able to have somebody who she can share that stuff with again. Yeah. Which is a noble thing to do, and she's also a bit oblivious to Tomoko's problems, but that's because Tomoko doesn't tell her anything. Tomoko (laughs) pretends everything's just fine. Thank you very much. Except when she was getting molested, (laughs) quote-unquote. That was an odd episode. I was like, oh, Yeah. It's weird, and it's also there are things in here... About Japanese culture, which we're probably just like, what is going on? I mean, I knew, I know, I knew it was an issue on public transit in general, and I and I've seen like on the internet pictures of signs being like, "Don't molest people on the train; it's not cool." That these are public service announcement things that are up. So I didn't know that it was a common issue, but to have this episode where she overhears some girls talking about getting molested, and she's kind of jealous because she sort of sees it as a way to be desirable. And it's like, this is so wrong. <laughs> this is such a wrong thing for a young female person to think, or for anyone to think. And then she has an episode on the train where she thinks she's getting molested. It is, in fact, somebody's, like, um, tr- training sword or something. It's, like, kind of got stuck in... I'm not really sure in what part of her anatomy. It's very unfortunately de- described. And then she decides that she thinks it's the worst thing that could happen. But then afterwards, she's actually really proud. She's like, I got um, uh, sick, uh, fucked by a sword. And she's really excited about that. And then she kind of gets off on that a little bit. And it just shows how repressed and messed up she is. And it makes you feel just so sorry for her. But it's also so bizarre an, an incident that, it's, that it is kind of funny. <laughs> I think that goes for a lot of the show. (laughs) It's so unfortunate, but it's kind of funny. (laughs) I think the the humor is it. A lot of it is is the variety of there, but for the grace of God, go I, kind of a thing. (laughs) Or for those who I think have can relate very strongly to Tomoko, they'd be like, "Yes, this is exactly how I feel about it." But yeah. Despite there being funny parts, I wouldn't call this a comedy. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little hard to say what it is. It's sold that way, but 
It, like you said, I've tried to think of what genre you could possibly slot this into, mm-hmm. and it's kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I could not imagine a show like this ever being produced in North America. Oh, absolutely not. No. <laughs> It seems like it has such a niche focus. Uh, maybe its proper home is in Japan, where you can make a cartoon about anything, apparently. Yeah, you really can. Like, what was that other one? Wolf and Spice? Spice and Wolf, about Spice medieval wolf. economics. Yeah, it's great. The depreciation of the dollar <laughs> is a thing. <laughs> that sounds great. It is, because I've never really watched in anime anything that wasn't of these sort of epic fantasy variety. Um, or you know, fighting things or giant robot thingies going on. Or Miyazaki films. It was kind of nice to see what was more like a slice of life. That would probably actually would be how you would market it. would be more slice of life um, cartoon. Because I'd never really watched that because most of them seem to be fairly inane. <laughs> but I think this one's kind of meaningful. And I think the opening sequence is actually one of the best parts of it is where she actually is sort of just screaming about how upset she, how upset she is and you never really see that in the show at least at least the parts i've seen because i haven't watched as many episodes as you i don't know if she ever I, actually if she ever actually does any of that i think the opening and closing sequences are actually pretty great mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> the the closing scenes over the credits is her singing karaoke i guess yeah off key mm-hmm <laughs> Basically singing about how lonely she is and how she can't carry on a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I guess she breaks her brother's cell phone during the entire sequence. Yeah. That is one last thing I want to get into is her family life and the fact that it's in this show. Yeah. Which doesn't usually happen with shows set in high schools, but a big portion of this is just Tomoko mm-hmm. at home and how she just – how delightfully – she trolls her brother constantly. And it's such a normal sibling relationship where they both just hate each other so much. Where did you... What happened to my noodles? I ate them, obviously. That's just such a great older sister way to be. And then she's like, I'm going to make you talk to me so I can practice talking. He's like, for how long? For an hour every day. He's like, and for how long are we going to do that? Until I'm going to talk to people. He's like, so what, forever? <laughs> And then her mother is such a practical person. Yeah. Even though it, she does seem a bit indifferent yeah. to what's happening with her children. And her father, I only saw him at the very end of the last episode I watched. He is in one episode. He is at work. He's a salary man, as far time. as I can tell. Yeah. And um, um, it's only when he walked home and he sees her <laughs> having watched um, one of her or played, I guess you would say, one of her sort of sexual story things. And she was using a, a vibrator actually on her neck, quite innocently. It wasn't a vibrator, it was... um A massager. Yeah, a massage thing that she won at the store earlier. Yeah. But, but she was she using it on her it neck. with the DVD that she has, or no, yeah. the, the game that she has at the store, she's like, I don't know what people will think if they see me with these two things together. Yeah. And then she falls asleep, like, and she was massaging her neck muscle out. She's like, "Well, this actually feels really nice," <laughs> and it's so funny because it's such a like a normal thing for her to be, whatever, whatever you want to think about these kind of games. Or I guess you call them games. They're sort of games. They're not really games. They're games. Yeah, they're like it's. 
They're choose your own adventure, okay? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a little... This sort of games. Their game is light. And then she falls asleep, and there's a sexual thing on, on the TV, and there's this vibrator-type thing going off. It's a little suggestive. And her dad finds her just like, nothing. <laughs> he says nothing. <laughs> no, he just picks her up and puts her in bed. Puts her in bed. He's like, well, girls. <laughs> I think that was about it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, the situations she gets into are embarrassing, Mm-hmm. And in the short term, they really mortify her. Mm-hmm. But in the long term, they're all kind of inconsequential. Kind of the point of the comic and the show. And the end of this show is her turning to the camera where they mm-hmm. do the um, the opening narration over again. This is a girl and nothing. Her life mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. And she's smiling going, you're right, my life doesn't matter. And you know what? That's good essentially comes comes to realize that the stuff that she thought was so important and Mm life-shattering really really isn't and she can just get on with things and it will get better eventually that's nice i'm glad it has an uplifting ending (laughs) potentially (laughs) it's the reason why i found it watchable too if she was making actual life-shattering mistakes from her flaws, I don't think I'd be able to continue with it either. Yeah. But because they're just exaggerated in her own mind. Like that, like, like the, when she first thinks somebody has stolen her umbrella, and she's like, <laughs> what kind of an asshole? And it turns to this huge, she's like, I will rip him to pieces. I will kill all of his family. I was like, oh, there's my umbrella. Like, that kind of thing. And it's just, it's so funny because it's like, you can sort of relate to like when you get so focused on your own self versus like thinking about everyone else in the world or just that something it was it's it's very relatable and kind of, that bit i thought was actually really funny because i'm like yeah you know i've sort of done that too mm. i'd recommend it for people who have social anxiety i suppose um on the grounds of yeah this might be like what you're thinking maybe yeah maybe. that was when i wrote my wrap-up of 2015 i put I wrote that this was something I'd recommend to people who were shy in high school or still shy, have some kind of social anxiety. <laughs> At least it would be something where it's like, I can relate. And the nice thing about being able to relate to something is that you know somebody else had to have thought of this. They probably thought of it from some kind of experience, whether their own or somebody else's. Yeah, well, it's that whole <laughs> issue of seeing people like you depicted on the screen, right? Yeah. Or in a book or whatever other media you have, which requires mm-hmm. some empathy to get along with them. It just tells you there are other people who have gone through this. Mm-hmm. And it can get better. Yeah. But you, you have to decide for it to get better. It won't be other people who will make it better. Yeah. Um, I think <laughs> it's not a surprise that this is an extremely polarizing show. Yeah, I could see why. I could imagine quite a lot of people being very uncomfortable, particularly with the sexual content. <laughs> because it's sort of like, no, these people who, like, young girls who haven't had sex don't think like that. It's like, yeah, they think like that. <laughs> hate to break it to you, but we've all gone through puberty, and I don't know why you don't remember, but yes. <laughs> As we pretty mentioned normal. earlier, this is a pretty <laughs> thorough yeah. depiction of what it's like to be an adolescent and doesn't shy away yeah. from touching on every aspect it possibly can even if they're highly Mm -hmm. uncomfortable yeah i don't think it's significantly different for males is what i think is kind of useful i'm like no it's really quite similar in how both sexes 
or all genders go through this. So there mm-hmm. you go. <laughs> so we made our recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage you, if you're thinking of watching the show, if you're in the States, you can still watch it on Crunchyroll. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can, I guess, still get it on DVD yep. by ordering it from Japan. Uh, if you think this might be something that will interest you, or if you're on the fence, then I direct you to Alistair Journey's review. Mm-hmm. On Fairbrain, he goes into a lot more detail than we have in this fairly short podcast. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, we're back! <laughs> oh well, yes. After quite a long hiatus, so... As is this typical. probably wasn't the episode you were expecting, but here you are. <laughs> yep, we were busy being by ourselves, shunning others. Usually, coming up with this, this is the first time we've talked about anime on this show, we'd go, here's all the other anime like this you can watch. But no, this is <laughs> extremely atypical, and I haven't seen any other anime that is remotely like it, or even any show mm-hmm. on this side of the ocean that's remotely like it. So yeah. I'd say there are more depressing animes. Friggin' Fate Zero. Friggin' Berserk, actually. That's a terrible ending. I think it's, I think Fate Zero is based on one of those sort of... Um... Yep, it's uh, another visual novel thing. Yeah. Except there was, was like very... an erotic one, but the show doesn't have that in it. So. Yeah, I, I'm... And then it gets very unclear at the end. I was like, ugh. I mean, I'm, we're not going to go into a big, long list of stuff you should watch. Cause, I mean, uh, there are lots of fantastic anime out there. Like, there's Trigon and Escaflone and, I don't know, a bunch of other good stuff out Spice there. and Wolf! Spice! <laughs> I haven't seen that. Steins Gate! Steins Gate is excellent. That mm-hmm. one was also based on a visual novel. The problem Samurai is that... Seven. Anime is basically like watching TV over here. And so mm-hmm. making anime recommendations is kind of going, what did we watch in the last however many years? Which <laughs> yeah. shows should you see on TV? You, Unlike um, TV in North America, you can really find an anime for anything. And Case the in one, point. The one thing, caveat I put on it is that one thing that I really dislike is people who just like anything as long as it is an anime style show. Not all of them are good. <laughs> Quite a lot of them oh, aren't, no. actually. Um, yeah, it's pretty drawing, but it has has to be um, a worthwhile plot or something that you like. Oh, and then, of course, there's all the abridged series, which are wonderful to watch. I'm enjoying Sword Art Online abridged, which is... Uh, I haven't seen the show, and I don't want to see the show. It's not a good show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Berserk abridged. That's how I got into Berserk. They both have their merits. Hellsong abridged. abridged. Obviously. Um, if you want to actually watch that show and have it, you know, have something happen every couple seconds, that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. But again, there are so many abridged series that we could probably uh, dedicate an entire episode to just talking about those. And we really don't want to do that because if we draw too much attention to them. They'll that's... get taken down. <laughs> yeah, they, they are already on kind of thin uh, parody copyright allowances. So, yeah. Watch so them while that... you can. That was, no matter how I look at it, it's you guys' fault I'm not popular. I think we've just spent this entire episode not mentioning the usual title it goes by. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Which is Watamote, a portmanteau word out of the Japanese title of the manga. Does that actually so, translate into anything? No, it's a portmanteau. Ah. It just takes random syllables from the long title and smushes mm. them together. 
<laughs> so it is not you're... Watamote, as uh, Yukon Mike originally thought. Well, yeah, it's only recently they went, wait, you're supposed to pronounce every letter in these transliterations? <laughs> <laughs> so search for Watamote on Google and you'll find it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you want to listen to past episodes of this podcast, go to my website, onelastsketch.wordpress.com. I also post book reviews, articles, uh, not so much artwork anymore, but that's what the blog used to be about. Where can we find you, Marie? I'm over at www.yatropexy.wordpress.com where I write things about art and medicine type stuff. If you want to follow me in other places, I am on the Twitters. At one last sketch. I'm not. I do not twit. Go bananas. Thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good ending. I like that.